First John chapter four, we'll pick up at verse seven eventually uh, when we get to our text. And then in the meantime, we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, as we settle down and turn to our text this morning, we do so in faith that your Holy Spirit is at work doing what is always the cry of our heart to open our understanding, to show us more about you and your grace and your wonderful love, that we might be strengthened in our faith and blessed in our walk with you and so that we could be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. When the United States was still in the heat of the battle in the war with Iraq came this story of heroic self-sacrifice. I'm quoting from Los Angeles Times, they're an archived article. If there's an opportunity to escape the deadly blast of a grenade, the army trained soldiers to take it. When an Iraqi insurgent threw a grenade into the Humvee, where Private First Class Ross McGinnis manned the machine gun, he had time to jump from the turret and save himself, but he didn't. In a matter of seconds, with four comrades stuck inside, McGinnis yelled, grenade, into his microphone, dropped down the turret, and shielded the others by getting in between the grenade and them. McGinnis' parents were presented with the Medal of Honor on behalf of their son, who absorbed the grenade's blast and saved the other men. In interviews, McGinnis Brothers in Arms, flown in uh, from as far as Germany, uh, choked up as they recounted the attack on their convoy. When the grenade was thrown from a nearby rooftop, it landed. McGinnis shouted into his microphone to alert the men below. With that, truck commander Sergeant Thomas counted down, quote, it was just like three, two, one. Just like that, Thomas said the truck filled with black smoke. If he wouldn't have blocked it with his body, there's no doubt that we wouldn't be here today, said the Humvee's driver who was wounded by the shrapnel. Anytime I have something good in my life, a family gathering or anything, I think about him, Ross McGinnis, and what he did for us, he said, the feeling of indebtedness never goes away. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this kind of love. He said there's no greater kind of love than giving up your life for someone else. It's the highest kind of love that we humans can show. And here in 1 John, the apostle has been talking about the, the mind-boggling love of God. The apostle Paul said, God's love surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's something that human beings really can't fully grasp. Even when we think we know about it, it's beyond us. It's so high, deep, wide, and wonderful. And this is uh, John's topic here, talking about this kind of love that God showed the world, of course, in an infinitely more profound way, even 
than this man who uh, died for his friends. In, uh, infinitely more profound would be God dying for not his friends, but for his enemies. So Jesus, in God form, sacrificed himself for the sins of the whole world, and he did so in love, out of love, for love, because he himself is love. This is our topic this morning. This love is the, really the core of the Christian message, isn't it? You take away God and his love, you don't have good news, which is the gospel. You don't have Christianity at all, because the key of it all comes down to God's love. That love is a dominating principle by which all Christians are ruled. In fact, it's the test for genuine Christian activity. If you don't have that love, the Bible says, sorry, that love of God, he brings with him when he comes to reside in the heart of a believer. God, who is love, takes residence in your heart. Therefore, you become that kind of loving person. And that gives evidence that you yourself know him and are saved and are going to heaven. Not a perfect love yet, but one that resembles his kind of love, selfless, supernatural. And it's what distinguishes Christians from the rest of the world. So it's no surprise the Bible has a lot to say about God and his all-consuming love, who he is and how he has that love for us and how we must share that love with others if we claim to know him. And so here we are in chapter four with really an explosion of verses about love. I mean, seriously, John has a holy meltdown uh, as he's trying to contemplate and communicate what is really uh, higher than our own understanding. And so he just kind of a, a shotgun blast of verses about love. And you know how Paul has his uh, kind of hymn to love in 1 Corinthians 13? This is the Apostle John's hymn of love uh, here in verses 7 through the rest of the chapter. We'll get down for our uh, concerns, get down to uh, verse 18. Uh, we'll divide what your text into two uh, paragraphs, and so we'll be reading now from verse 7, and the points will follow the reading. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. Now this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So we'll pause there, Roman numeral number one inspiration, because you're going to need it. Can you imagine 
It sounds beautiful, this description of God's love and all throughout the Bible, but can you imagine if we were left to ourselves to try to manifest this love? Uh, we need the inspiration not only in our minds to think inspiring thoughts to attain that kind of life, but we need an actual substantive uh, help and inspiration of a presence of God, which he promises. And so if you're taking notes, you can just put a, a one first inspiration to love one another. Now, as a former English teacher, it's my responsibility to tell you that the thesis statement for this text would be, let us love one another. That is what's driving John in chapter 4 of his letter. Now, since there's an intense effort involved loving the way God loves and expects us to love, John continues now with some inspiration to motivate us to fulfill our high calling because it's work to cooperate with God who put that love in us at the time that we believed our work is not to manifest some kind of love in our own effort, but to work to yield our will over to his so that the Holy Spirit could produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love. So our work really is learning how to uh, die to self and conform our will and to let God be God and live his life overflowing from our life. That is the work of the Christian. It's a work of response. And so you will find that the whole Christian life, whatever God ever asks you to do, is one of response. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, the first two words uh, tell you that, but you can't see it because it's in Greek. The first two words are agape tos, agape o. This is what is translated, dear friends, let us love one another, in English. Two words, agape tos, agape o. Here's what he's saying. You who are loved, love. You who are loved by God, agape tos, loved ones, beloved. King James has it pretty good there. Beloved, you are beloved. You who, have been you who have received this great love now... Share the wealth, not in a political sense, in a spiritual sense. Sharing the wealth, whatever. That fell flat. I'll try it again next first service and see if they like it. <laughs> Share God's love. It's got poured into you. Now pour it out. And that is really what he's saying there in the opening. We see, oh, there's a relationship between having been freely given and now freely, freely uh, giving as a result of that. Dear friends, let us love one another. And it's just true, by the way, for anything God ever asks you to do, a Christian virtue or a, some kind of godly character, uh, for example, to be a forgiving person. How do you be a forgiving person? Well, certainly not in your own efforts, but because you, my friend, who claim to know Christ, from the forgiveness you have received, you can in turn forgive others. So he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, be kind and compassionate toward one another, forgiving one another as you have been forgiven by Christ. So what is he saying? Okay. 
Since you have had your sins forgiven, past, present, and future, every last one of your sins that you have sinned, not simply against man, but against God, have all been washed away and forgiven. You're totally let off the hook because Jesus paid it all. Free gift to you. Paul says, with that gift that you enjoy and experience, you in turn can forgive somebody else. They didn't invite you to the party. You can overlook that. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you a lifetime of sins. Somebody blew off some steam and talked a little smack about you. And by the way, you do the same thing. No offense. Nobody told me this. I just know that the very thing we get mad at in others, we've done ourselves, and which makes us even more mad at them. How can I forgive you for that? Well, all I have to do is remember, oh man, he hung on the cross, paid for every last one of my willful sins, and with that knowledge of God's forgiveness for me, I forgive you. And it's just the, the way it goes. You, Christian service, anything you do for Christ, it's a response to having received the gift of eternal life and the love of God. Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 1, verse 14. He says, you know what? I'm a debtor to all men. What is he saying? He's saying, whoever I meet on the entire earth, I owe them. I see myself as a debtor to everyone in the room and every room I will ever go into. Why? Who do you owe? I owe them the debt of love. What did they ever do for you? It's not what they did for me. That's what I've received from heaven. I was a, a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. I was going straight to hell. And God, in one moment, said, you know what? <laughs> you belong to me. Now I'm going to lavish my love on you. Paul said, therefore, I see my entire second chance at having the love of God in my life as an obligation to be your debtor. What do you need? How can I help you? Because I want to bless the beloved of my beloved. And so out of a sake of indebtedness to God, I'll put up with you. I will. I didn't mean that as that sounded. <laughs> oh. You know, sometimes speaking without your notes is a blessing, and other times it is not. <laughs> I can love and serve and be patient. And forgive and be kind and close my mouth when I feel like opening it. And bless instead of curse, to love instead of hate. Because of what God has done for me. Do you realize what he's done for you? Paul says, when that love gets a hold of you, you'll be a changed human being. Jesus sent out the 12, and he said, go preach the word, and I'm going to give you a miracle power so they'll sit up and believe you. And he said, and by the way, 
freely you've received, now freely give. That's how it is, the whole Christian life. Beloved, let us love one another. So John is saying in these verses, when you see God's love at work in a life, you can know God's spirit is present in the heart. Now we have to be careful here because we know the context of the love he's speaking about. We've defined what that word means, the love. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God. We know what he means by that word love. It's agape love, God's love. So what is he saying? He's saying uh, everyone who loves Jesus and loves God and the church and loves holiness and righteousness, whoever loves like God loves, the things that God loves, this agape love, this holiness, the truth, his people, whoever's loving like that, oh, we know is born of God. But nice, he's not talking about nice. There's some people who uh, don't know the whole context. And the terms, they'll read that. Everyone who loves has been born of God. You see, <laughs> nice without Jesus, biblically speaking, doesn't amount to much. Because you don't have the source of life. Now, we like nice. Nice is better than mean. I take nice any day of the week. Amen? <laughs> right. But he's not talking about nice here. Jesus has already said, you know, unbelievers love. They have meaningful love. Can you crack both doors, please, and turn on the fans back there? Thank you. <laughs> unbelievers love, but they just don't love like Jesus loves. They don't love like God loves. You, don't, you can't love like God loves if you don't admit there's a God. And he's not involved in your life. And so what he's saying is, when you love in an agape uh, way that God loves, then, then we know that you've been born of God. Now, so uh, he, he goes on here. So people who love the Lord and love his people and love to forgive others and overlook personal offenses, these are the ones that evidence new birth and a personal knowledge of this God, because this kind of love comes from God. And so, really, uh, he's saying here in verse 8 now that God is love. It's another one of those, be careful here. What does he mean when he says God is love? Well, David Guzik, I'll quote him. When we say God is love, we're not saying everything about God. Love is an essential aspect of his character. It colors every aspect of his nature. But it does not eliminate his holiness, his righteousness, or his perfect justice. Instead, we know the holiness of God is loving. The righteousness of God is loving. The justice of God is loving. Everything God does in one way or another expresses his great love. And then, of course, the big ticket item to inspire us all for an eternity of Christian service, Christ's definition of love through his sacrifice on the cross. Here's a paraphrase of that idea. He sent the Son, God the Son, into the world so we could live through him. This is how we define love. It didn't originate with us. The story isn't one day we decided to love God. Rather, it's that Jesus, 
in love for us, sacrificed himself to pay for our sins. That's what love is. And that's why we ought to love one another. So really, it's the wow of the wows, the wow that keeps wowing, that love would pursue people like us, that God who spoke and the universe left, leapt into being, that almighty God in beautiful holiness and majesty and all knowledgeable and all powerful and all present, he would love somebody like me and like you. And if you were the only person in the world and you needed him to die in, in your place, he would do it for you. That kind of inspiration, that love pursued us. We didn't go looking for it. The beauty of redemption and God's love is, is that, you know, for all intents and purposes, you would have gone straight down uh, the broad way, down off the cliff and missed this whole thing except by his kindness. He led you to repentance. Before you could, you were dead in your sins. And one day we think, oh, well, I, one day I decided to choose Jesus. And then he said, oh, by the way, uh, heaven's little secret is you didn't choose me. I chose you. You couldn't choose me. You were dead in your sins. You couldn't repent. You loved doing what you were doing. You didn't want to be a Christian, remember? The reason you want to be a Christian is because I drew you in. I'm quoting the Son of God right here. No one comes to me except the Father draw him or her. No one. Not one person in heaven that you ever meet in all of eternity who can say, hey, you know what? One day I just figured it out. I was there, and I just went, ding, a light went on, and I said, you know what? I'm going to turn from my sins, and I'm going to embrace Jesus Christ and walk with him. No, you didn't. <laughs> Somehow, you did choose, and he chose. And how they both are true and work together, because they do, and they are both true, You'll be able to solve that problem when you get a new body because the new body and the new mind will be able to understand that kind of spiritual math. For now we know the beauty is this. Love came down to us. And this is how we know what love is. We wouldn't know. John says we wouldn't have a clue unless God said, hey, you guys, look at this. Let me show you. This is what love is all about. Let me put it to you this way, as far as letting that grab a hold of you and motivate you to do all the hard things that the Christian life demands. Let this motivate you, the death of Christ on your behalf, gasping out for air with your name on his breath and mine. Now, let me put this in another way. Let's say the four soldiers that were saved that day in Iraq by Ross McGinnis' death. They come upon his journal. Let's just pretend. And uh, in his journal, they're reading in his handwriting. Oh, look at his handwriting. Oh, it reminds me of him. And he's talking about his deep love for his wife and his young twin boys. 
just talking about birthday parties he remembers and all the sweetness. And you're just like, oh. And then he's talking about, oh, man, uh, if, if anything were to happen to me as my heartfelt prayer that they be taken care of and encouraged and watched over, you could bet that those four men reading those words, having, excuse me, but some of his blood splattered on them. You could bet, reading those words, if it's in their power and they have opportunity, nothing will stand in the way of them blessing that young lady and blessing and watching out over those two kids. John's point, when he says, whoever doesn't love with God's love doesn't know God, John's point is this, if we go back to my analogy here. If those four guys, if any of those guys could go to Ross McGinnis' widow and snub her and know who she is and walk by her as she's crying and she needs something, you go, whatever, I got stuff to do, lady. And the kids need something. And it's within your power to do something. The illustration here, the biblical truth is, and, and you could snub or neglect or even not like the kids, then you are never in the Humvee. You're a liar. There's no way you could have been in that Humvee. There's no way that blood came anywhere near you. You don't get it. There's no way. That's all the Bible's saying. There's no way that you could be in Christ and Christ in you and be not loving God's people. Now, I had a young man say to me, and he's immature, he's growing in his faith, Lord willing. He says, I don't like Christians, I never have. I just don't like them. I knew in a second, Jesus is far from this heart, far from this room. No way. You, you can't have Jesus Christ in your heart and say, I don't like Christians. There's no way. You could say, you know, some Christians drive me crazy. You could say that. You know, I'm sure the Lord might say that. <laughs> but there's no way you go, oh, Christians and church and, and, and in the right thinking and balance of what I'm talking about. There's no way. No way that you could look at Ross's kids there and say, ah, whatever. There's no way. And that's what his point is. You know, Ebenezer Scrooge, I love, my favorite uh, Christmas tradition is to watch A Christmas Carol with George, uh, yeah, Scott, right? Because I don't like uh, Wonderful Life. You know why? There's too many theological errors in Wonderful Life. I'm always correcting everything. Angels don't have wings, first of all, you know, and so when you ring the bell, they're not earning their wings and all of that. I'm no fun to have around movies, all right? So I, I go with the Christmas carol because that guy gets born again, seriously. Uh, the Lord gives him a vision. This is hell, and this is where you're going, you know? And then he wakes up, and it's like, by the grace of God, I've got a second chance what happens? The love. Love, love, love. I love everybody. I love little kids. I love grown-ups. 
I love poor people. He, do you remember the scene where the, the, the charity workers have already asked him for money and he, he insults them and sends them away with their tail between their legs, right? And they're afraid of him. And then this new guy is walking down the street. He sees the charity workers coming down and he pulls them over and he whispers in their ears and their mouth drops wide open. And then he pulls them back and he says, oh, no. He says, this much money? And then he goes, oh, no, no, no. And they were like, oh, yeah, right. It was a mistake. And he whispers back and it's more money. And they're amazed. This is John's point. God is invisible. But when we love with his kind of love, the invisible God is seen. So more inspiration to do the hard work of Christian loving is this, that by my choice to love with agape love, I will manifest, or God will, through me, evidence of his invisible presence. That makes me want to do the hard work of love. It's terrible to die to self and, and, and close my mouth and, when I want to speak or be me first when, when, uh, and, and then give it you, you first instead of me first. You know what I'm trying to say. All of those things are hard. But John is saying this. The spectacle of love that happens in the Christian life reveals the existence of the invisible God. Here's the paraphrase. No one's seen God the Father. He's invisible. But when we love with his love, we know he's around. When people start living out God's supernatural love, lives are transformed by heaven's touch. The invisible God becomes, in a sense, visible. You know, I, I mentioned to you a lot some spiritual heroes of mine, Christian heroes, the family that belongs to our church. And I bring them up a lot because they're worthy of an example of how they handled their mom and the wife's death by the hands of a drunk driver. And in the courtroom, let me illustrate this point. No one has seen God at any time accepting Jesus Christ, the fullness of God the Father and spiritual form of God. We've never seen that. But when we love, we get a glimpse of him. In the courtroom, the family had to face the accuser. The, accuser, uh, the, the accused one being sentenced had to speak and look at those who she harmed. And Aaron said, to her in my presence to the drunk driver who killed her mother I extend to you the same forgiveness which was extended to me I was unworthy to receive this forgiveness as you are unworthy but I pass it along to you in love there was a gasp and I was like, well, what was that? Did you see that? Whoa, I, did you see him for a second, folks? Because that kind of love just gives evidence that there's more going on in the room than just strictly human activity. That's what the verse means. That when the breeze blows and the trees sway, that which is invisible, the wind, 
is seen. I know it's windy. How do you know? Uh, you can't see the wind. Well, I can see what the wind is moving. Now look at the trees. In the courtroom, what did we see? There's a God. How do you know there's a God? You can't see the God. Look at Aaron. Look at the heart that can look at, at the person who took away her mother in the most vile way. I don't know how many DUIs she already had. Sloshing down the beers. And now her mom is gone. But she says, you know what? I have compassion on you. I offer you my forgiveness as a gift. Everybody kind of, whoa, what is that? John says, try loving like that. Try considering others better than yourself all the time. Live that way. Forgive those who hurt you. Serve. Consider yourself the slave in the room. People all went, whoa, what was that? You know, I've told you the story. I can't resist. I tell stories a lot. But my dad, my daddy, 55 years old, he gets saved. This, this Jewish, hard-hearted businessman, never really friendly, 55 years old, he fi finds the Lord. And he tried to tell me about the Lord all the time, and nothing really clicked until one day. And I've told you the story. Uh, we're driving in the car. He sees a little kid on a bike. Cute little kid on a bike. And my dad gets all chipper. And he looks at him, smiles, and he waves. <laughs> and we drive by, and I'm like, I go, Dad, uh, what was that about? What was that about? The kid, why did you wave to him? Do you know him? No, I don't know him. It's a cute kid. I waved to a cute kid. It was, uh, I saw something. Now, I'm an unbeliever at the time. I saw the invisible manifesting because I knew that man. He didn't have time for adults. He didn't really like adults. How much more so kids? He had no time for kids. And now the love of God has touched this man's heart. His sins are gone. He's got a new chance. He's Ebenezer Scrooge, rise from the dead. He's like, oh, man, it's a beautiful summer day, and there's a cute little kid on a bike. Hey, little kid, you're cute. <laughs> you know, oh, look at him. Maybe it was his birthday today, and he's out with his birthday bike. <laughs> Serious. And I was impacted. He spent hours trying to talk to me about the gospel. It just went straight over my head, even with hair. <laughs> <laughs> but when I saw the love, oh, not just nice, I saw that's transformative heaven power. You know when Zacchaeus stands up at the barbecue after Jesus got a hold of his life? Slimy, tax collecting, sorry if you collect taxes. I baptized somebody once, and then I asked him, well, what do you do? And he said, I, I collect taxes. <laughs> so it was good that I held him under a little bit longer. <laughs> he, <laughs> Zacchaeus, he stands up at the barbecue, he taps his glass, and he says, attention, everybody, attention, everybody. Now, everybody knows him. He's extorted from his own mother. He's a traitor to the Jews. All he cares about is money. And he stands up and he says, I'd like to make an announcement. 
half of all my possessions right now to Salvation Army, right today. Pull up the truck. It's going to the poor and needy. What was that? What was that? And if I've defrauded anybody in the room, I'll pay you back plus four times as much. Did you see that? What happened? I'm seeing the, 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 the tree. It's windy out. The Holy Spirit is at work. So what does the Lord say? Did you see that? The Lord says, God's in the room. That's what the Lord says. He says, oh, I see heaven has visited his heart. He said, salvation has come to the house. Heaven is here, folks. And how did we all know? The love. Now a man who is tight-fisted and greedy and slimed all over is tossing coins out, saying, it's a beautiful day, and everybody looks so wonderful today. You guys have lunch on me. <laughs> what? The love of God got a hold of his life. And Jesus said, do you see it? You can see heaven if you look real close. Well, I'm running out of time. I've run out of time. Uh, so let me just uh, read the closing paragraph, and then I'll make a few comments, and we'll be done. We know that we live in him, verse 13, and he is in us because he's given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he is in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Now, this is the part I'm going to underscore and leave you with. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Now, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we, now here's the thing, we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we're like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so we'll pause there. And the last point then is the assurance that loving God and living in his love provides. So the first one was inspiration. The second one is assurance. And so John's made this point, hasn't he, before? He said, you know what? When we live in God's love, it's not just the world that sits up and takes notice, but it's your own soul. To live in God's love engenders confidence in the human psyche. Because we, we know his love and we grow comfortable and confident because we all know the day is coming when we will stand before the living God. And this is a disconcerting thought to anybody who is well aware of their own sinful life and heart. So what is, he, what is he saying? He's saying, I'll quote an author here, our souls are fickle things. While we are sure we've yielded our lives to Jesus, we're still acutely aware of our corrupt hearts and our moral shortcomings every day. But when we're living in God's love, surrounded and saturated, we realize that his love is going to win. It's bigger and greater and stronger than all of our sins. And so he's saying that, you know what, folks? Don't be afraid of Judgment Day. 
He said, when you live in God's love and he's answering your prayers and you sense that God is with you, he says, there's no fear. He says, let God's perfect love chase that fear away because he says, let's, let's reason together. Fear involves punishment. So unbelievers are the ones who have fear and shame. Christians are the ones who have peace and confidence. There's no relevance to the Christian life of condemnation, shame, guilt, or fear. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't mean you don't battle it. It doesn't mean you don't feel ashamed or like, what am I even thinking? I'm going to heaven after what I've done or how I think. Do you know how many people come to me as a pastor and say, Pastor Ross, I've done all the right Christian things. I really think that I am a Christian, but you don't know who I really am and what I think in a day and my self-centered thoughts and how twisted my mind is, especially men. It just, I just feel so unworthy and like it's possible that I'm going through all the motions, but I'm not really saved because I don't feel saved. And this is what John's saying. He's saying, when you walk in God's love and let that love grow in you, that that love will displace that nagging fear that when you face judgment with Jesus' face looking at you, that you're going to have something uh, uh, fearful happen to you. He says, you're welded to God who is love incarnate. Through your faith in love, God in love joined you to himself and in love paid for all of your sins and he himself is called love and you are united to him. He says, therefore, Christian, if you think, if you are fearful of meeting Jesus, you're not yet grown up in love. Let God's love have more sway in your heart Read more scriptures about his love. Spend more time loving him and loving others. And eventually, that love will silence that nagging feeling. Let me just tell you all. Every Christian I know has a nagging sense and an acute awareness that they fall short. You have that inner dialogue every day. Wow. How wicked can a person be? Well, the old nature in you never goes away, never gets saved. The old nature never gets saved. And it's in there. The job of the new nature is to suppress and keep that thing down. Now, when Christ comes and your body is changed, you will be incapable of sinning. Until then, you have a choice. You can let that old person rise up and that sinful nature have its way but you're constantly even when you're walking with Christ you're aware of that whole thing even wanting to do the thing that you're abstaining from you're like man am I really saved he says walk in his love let his love heal you and that nagging sense will go away what if it never goes away I don't care I don't care if I ever feel saved or not. I know I have done. I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I do not have to feel saved to be saved. A lot of people struggle with those feelings. They say, I don't even feel saved. I don't even feel God. 
but you're doing the right thing. That's called maturity. You don't have to feel like taking the garbage out. You take it out because why? It's got to be done. It's the right thing to do, right? Same with loving the Lord. You don't have to feel anything. Same with being faithful to your wife or your husband. It's the problem is you, the world bases everything on the feelings. So when the feelings go, they just decide the behavior can change. Because I don't have the feelings anymore. I wake up one day, you know what? I'm not sure I really love you anymore. <laughs> That's not biblical. So the point of the text is live in God's love. Let that love heal you of anxiety because you are wedded to the one who loves you enough to die for you. You're in good keeping. When you stand there, it's going to be a smile. He knows about your brokenness. You're supposed to be broken. That's your job description, to present a problem. And he says, I'm the solution to your problems. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. We want to know it more and more. And let that love heal our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.